Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the VC Pruna podcast, a podcast that provides a unique perspective of the startup world through the lens of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. I'm your host Dikjay and today I have with me Arpit Maheshwari, principal at Stellaris Venture Partners. Stellaris is an early stage sector agnostic investment firm currently investing from its second fund of 225 million dollars since its inception in 2017. The firm has invested in 30 plus startups across sectors like SaaS, financial services, B2B commerce, consumer brands, social commerce, education, electric vehicles, healthcare and more. Some of its marquee portfolio startups include the likes of Whatfix, Mama Earth, Turno, Slintel, Limechat and Sinzi among others. In this episode, Arpit talks about his background and path leading up to Stellaris, the investment philosophy at Stellaris and the journey from fund 1 to fund 2. standout attributes of select founders from Stellaris portfolio scaling up as an investor and balancing mind share between different sectors managing relationships with startups that are unable to achieve venture scale and how being an investor has influenced arpit over the years i thoroughly enjoyed this episode with arpit and had a lot of takeaways from this chat i hope you enjoy this conversation too so without much ado let's jump in and find out what arpit has to share Hey Arpit, welcome to the VC Prana podcast. Thank you so much for taking out the time. Hey Vijay, no, oh, no, thank you for having me. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Same here, same here. You know, Arpit, for our audience, you know, maybe we can start with a brief background about yourself, and you know, tell us about your path leading up to Stellaris before we jump into the meat of this conversation. So I am uh, engineer by profession, but never by practice. Um, I uh, graduated in two thousand eight. I then spent three years in consulting with a firm named BCG in their Gurgaon office. Uh, post that, I joined an edtech startup. Uh, this is back in two thousand eleven, uh, by the name of Iprof. They were a Series A funded company at that stage. Uh, had a pretty powerful vision of enabling access to higher quality educational content. Uh, at that point, it was recorded. ultimately we had always thought once technology would catch up we would also move on to the live side of the world uh, using mobile devices so I spent about close to 2 and a half 3 years at iprof uh, in the middle of that stint i went to iim ahmedabad for an mba uh, post iprof iprof did not work out uh, multiple reasons uh, and i think that typically does happen with with companies that early as as iprof was i used to run product for iprof Uh, I went to Cardeco. I used to run product predominantly, uh, and a few other things for the used car business. This was when Cardeco was in its growth phase. Now I'm very happy Cardeco is still around. So uh, and sort of alive and kicking. I uh, spent about what maybe one and a half two years at Cardeco, and I then uh, ran innovation for Arvind, which is a manufacturing and retail group. Uh, before I joined Celeris in uh, July 2018, and. You know, if I look back, I think always been a very big believer in entrepreneurship as a force for change uh, in society. Uh, was part of the team that set up the entrepreneurship cell at IIT Delhi, as an example. I have seen some examples in my family on, uh, I would say, the impact that entrepreneurship can have, uh, not just on what you do, but also on society as as a whole. Uh, which is part of the reason why I joined. Uh, I joined startups. you know uh, always wanted to explore that side of the world and 
I think at some point I came to the conclusion that look, you could of course choose to be a founder yourself. Somehow could never develop that conviction. Uh, maybe it was a lack of courage, lack of conviction. You would never know. And then I think the next best way to I think support founders is either you help them build out the business or like in an operating capacity or you help them build out the business in a financing capacity, right? And I think as I would say I grew more self-aware, I thought investing would be a good choice for me. Awesome. And it's it's, it's been a wide-ranging journey and, you know, something that uh, any venture capitalist today needs to uh, have that kind of an different uh, experiences before it definitely helps to be able to relate with you know founders who are at different stages of the journey and different uh, business models itself uh, you mentioned if you're working at a bigger corporate and in their innovation arm it's, it's different than you know working at a early stage startup but all those experiences count a fantastic background Arpit. you know uh, if you could talk more about stellaris itself you know tell us mm-hmm. about the fund uh, the journey of the fund as well and uh, you all uh, raised a bigger fund sometime in 21. That's right. And we'll talk about, you know, how it's changed in, in terms of your approach, allocation strategy. But yeah, uh, to start with, if we can talk about Stellaris and, and the journey of the fund so far. So look, we are an early stage investment firm focused on seed and series A investments. Now, what that typically means for us, because seed and series A can mean different things for different people, is we are usually the first or maybe the second institutional investor that starts working with a company. We also come in very early. Uh, We can come in when there is just a business plan. We can come in when maybe there is, you've got, let's say, uh, if I take the analogy of a SaaS company, maybe you have a couple of beta customers. Or where maybe there is very early signs of revenue. But for the most part, a lot of the business has to be figured out. We are tech-focused, but sector agnostic. Now, as a firm, we are, I would say, very thesis-driven and depth-oriented. So the way we work is that while at a firm-wide level, we are sector agnostic, different people will focus on different sectors. And the, you know, the upside of that is that you are able to build more expertise, uh, also see more patterns, which may be unique to that sector. And hopefully that leads to both better judgment when you make an investment. But also, I think, uh, equally importantly, better ability to support founders once you actually start working with them as part of your portfolio, right? And that's one part. The second, I think, and, you know, Digjay, if I go back to what you were saying that, which was a comment on my background, which was around the variety of experiences. Now, I think there is no set template to be a VC, but at least we feel operating experience does help. Uh, If you look at us as a firm, most people in the investment team, at least all senior folks in the investment team will have significant operating experience. Uh, so we have ex-founders, uh, you know, people who have worked in large corporations, people who have worked in startups, large corporations across the board. Uh, I think analysts because we get them when they typically have maybe two, three years of experience. So at that point, there is not as much operating experience. Although Naman, who is the most recent addition to our team, uh, he was a founder himself uh, in his sort of most recent stint. So, and in general, I think we do feel it helps us better appreciate how businesses are built and again, connect better with founders, focus on stuff that is more important versus worrying about stuff that frankly doesn't matter. Early stage startups are a very chaotic beast, right? So I think it is very easy to say, hey, 
X is not working, Y is not working, Z is not working. I mean, that's great, but we really do want to focus on what is working, right? Uh, so I'll take a pause, but I would say that's uh, maybe a little bit about us and our philosophy. No, I think that color definitely helps and, you know, talks about uh, the DNA and, and the structure of the firm that becomes very important for any founder who's picking their first institutional investor. How are they structured one? And then what's their approach uh, to company building and uh, venture scaling in general? You know, Stellaris has gone from a relatively smaller fund one to, you know, a huge fund two, uh, I would say. And I'm sure it has it has been a journey in itself. Um, if you could talk briefly about, you know, the fund one and um, some of the tailwinds and the headwinds that you faced when you were raising fund two. So look, um, first, I think fund two is definitely meaningfully bigger than fund one. But I would say if you look at it relative to early stage uh, venture ecosystem in India at this point, I would not categorize it as a huge fund. Uh, if anything, we are, you know, if you look at, like there are several folks who are also early stage focused who are maybe 2XR fund size or more, right? Um, so I would say that we think of ourselves as right-sized. Now, the part of the reason, if you look at, I think fund one, I mean, I wasn't around when we started raising, uh, but I think it was, we closed that sometime in 2018, if I remember correctly. And if you look at it between, say, the 2017-2018 timeframe to about the 2021 timeframe, there has been meaningful uh, inflation in the India venture market, right? Absolutely. So the, what that means is that, look, check sizes have gone up, valuations have gone up. And then, broadly speaking, you do need more firepower to stay competitive. I think that's, that's part of the reason uh, why we wanted a larger fund. Uh, between fund one and fund two, uh, our strategy has been fairly consistent. Uh, you know, so across both funds, we are continuing to be seed and A focused, uh, again, sector agnostic, uh, tech focused and so on. So I think that, uh, fundamentally I would not say, uh, in terms of our areas of focus or our strategy, uh, from an investment perspective. Uh, it's been pretty consistent between these two funds. Uh, on the headwinds and tailwinds that you mentioned, I think fund one, so far, fingers crossed, uh, you know, has been doing well. I think we have managed to pick, I think that we've been fortunate to, to have a good portfolio over there. So I think that yeah. helped. There is more liquidity that the Indian ecosystem has now shown. If you look at the last couple of years, both in terms of public markets, uh, as well as, you know, slightly deeper private market exits also that people have managed to see maybe partial, maybe fully, but at least liquidity is a little more real than what it was maybe five years back. So I think that also helped from a headwinds perspective. I would not say there were any real headwinds, but I would say there are a fairly standard set of questions that you would always get when you are looking to raise capital, you know, which is around what is your strategy going to be like? The market seems to be getting more competitive because as the market seems to get more attractive, you know, there will be more players that will join, how will you differentiate yourself and so on and so forth. Uh, but I would not carry it. As I said, to my mind, those were not headwinds. Uh, that is something that you would expect. Right? I mean, ultimately, we are also going raising funds, just like startups will come and raise funds. And you will have fairly, I would say, you know, justified questions around your business. 
and it, you're right i mean it, the market itself you know defines how how many headwinds you have or tailwinds you have you know in raising funds and environment in the last four or five years has been fairly positive so you mentioned you know no headwinds of course but uh, any learning specifically from fund 1 and the way you all allocated that fund that you all are taking into fund 2 anything that just stood out for you in terms of learnings that are that you're implementing uh, with this bigger fund too uh, so i think it's a good question i would say see some of these learnings are going to be self serving given all the philosophical statements i mentioned earlier mm-hmm. but i would say a lot of reinforcement of beliefs on a staying disciplined i would say number 1 thesis and depth orientation and at least that mattering number 2 i would also say that ensuring that you are able to double down on winners i think is very important um and we have tried and i think for the most part been successful at it as well but i think it is from a returns driver perspective i think you don't want to be in a position where you picked well but you did not have enough equity in the business so i would say maybe broadly speaking those those three things and if you look at fund 2 you know as an example on the piece around discipline so we targeted about 8 to 10 new investments from the fund every year we made 9 in 2021 and we made 7 uh, in 2022 so i think that sense pace of investing has been reasonably consistent then you know again also the importance of uh, being depth oriented being at least thesis driven yeah. and again uh, i would say several investments in fund 2 are essentially us investing behind an existing thesis often at a very early stage of the business as well so i think those have served us uh, served us well so far right thanks for that you know background and uh, deep dive on on the journey if you could talk more about the portfolio itself you know both from fund 1 fund 2 and uh, i want to talk about startups you know in a in a different way here you know every startup will have its unique standout point or something which led to their success you know in that respect uh, if you could talk about some of the startups and what do you think you know stood out for them uh, that helped them grow over the you know past few years i mean it's a very good question so what i'll do is maybe um, i'm just mentally scanning fund 1 and fund 2 yeah now keep in mind i think fund 1 companies at least have had time to show some level of scale fund 2 companies are very young uh, but i will still call out some things which i think has has stood out for these not all of these are companies that are on my own portfolio in the sense some of them i i work with uh, or work with uh, but some of these of course you still get to learn because we do discuss our portfolio on a frequent basis uh, if i look at fund 1 now um, slintel uh, this was a company that we exited in 2021 if i remember correctly it was uh, acquired by Uh, a company called Six Sense. You know, if I look at Deepak and Rahul, who were the founders there, uh, one extremely strong learners. So there were several aspects of the business which I think they had no exposure to when we came in. When we came in, when they were very tiny, uh, very very small. Uh, and I remember, for example, if I if you look at product management, neither Deepak nor Rahul had exposure to product management in the past. that was a function where and they were very self aware you know that look this is something that we need to learn that we need to sort of get better at and if i look at the quality of product management discussions that we would have like product oriented discussions rather that we would have 
it just grew at a pretty remarkable pace. I think that's that's one part. I think they just, they just learned whatever it is that they had not sort of experienced in the past. And the second thing that stood out to me about Slintel was I think Deepak's ability to just build capacity ahead of time. You know, uh, Slintel grew very rapidly. I think their, their growth curve was just fantastic. And often in, I would say, sales-led SaaS companies, what happens is that you realize you have a market to go after, but you don't have the sales capacity to go after that market. And so you, what happens is your growth curve will go like this and there'll be like a bit of a pause because, you know, salespeople are getting onboarded, they're getting ramped up and so on and so forth is happening. In Sintel's case, I think that challenge just never happened. Deepak was just always able to sort of, you know, stay one step ahead of the curve and not unnecessarily ahead of the curve. It's not that we had people sitting idle. I think that was just fantastic. If I look at what fix, uh, I think, you know, maybe two things stand out for them. Uh, one is it's a category creation play. Uh, and I think that has, uh, that has been, uh, of course, very fortuitous for them. They were able to identify a gap that was emerging in the market and build for it. Second, on the go-to-market front, they have been extremely adept at constantly changing their go-to-market motion, which is not very easy for SaaS companies to do. And I would say even there, I think two dimensions. One, just the ability to sell higher and higher contract sizes. And what happens is that as you sell higher and higher contract sizes, the nature of the buyer changes, right? Because from SMBs to mid-market to enterprises, and you know, then very different sales motions, very different sales capabilities that you need to build. Also, they were an org that was predominantly sitting in India, selling globally. Now they have this fantastic sales team that sits in the US, sells to sort of the bluest of the bluest chip accounts. So just that transition, I think, has been just quite remarkable in my opinion. And maybe a third which comes to mind is Propelled. You know, they are uh, they are essentially in the education loans business. Uh, the resilience that this business has shown, uh, especially when COVID happened, you know, because Propel goes to market via brick and mortar coaching institutions uh, at that point, right? Uh, COVID happened, sort of everything went for a toss. I mean, one is the resilience, but second, which is, uh, you know, I remember discussing this uh, in, in one of our team meetings, you know, when the entire world was basically sort of going for a toss and the whole world was saying, hey guys, basically play on, on the back foot, right? They said, you know, we have a product that makes sense. We are able to transition to a different category of institutions as well, which may be online first and so on. But this is our opportunity to gain market share. So they actually pressed their foot on the pedal at a time when, as I said, it was very, very hard to do so, right? Uh, so I think that... Those are maybe three things on fund one. Fund two, significantly younger companies, all the ones that I'll describe. But, you know, I think in the case of Beepcart, just the operational discipline and the leverage of technology to enable operational discipline in that business, I think that's pretty remarkable. Um, in Turno's case, A, I think the strength of the vision that we have there, which is, to just catalyze India's transition from a mobility perspective to electric. 
but again what i think is very commendable at least and something which i which i really admire in that in that team is not just having you know clarity at a very visionary level but also being able to marry that when saying look having very deep insights and what could you need at a business model and an operating level to be able to translate that vision to reality so that's the second the third and um, this is a company named 91 square feet without describing what the business does actually i think just an amazingly persistent team i think they have been around and taken so many knocks as a business you know including when covid happened x happened y happened z happened whatever uh, but just amazingly persistent and resilient uh, so those are some of the things maybe which uh, you know as i was scanning our own portfolio uh, throughout well, i think that's definitely helpful and you know tells you about the key characteristics that you require you know just to exist as a founder and some of them which you know help you uh, take yourself and your company to the next level uh, because like you said you know just being a founder in itself takes a lot of courage and conviction along with some of the other qualities that you mentioned you know just sticking to those qualities and being able to execute and implement that into action helps you actually see the see the progress and growth of the company uh, from there on fantastic uh, this is great uh, you know arpit we can talk more about the next aspect um, you know scaling up as an investor i i understand that you mentioned you know within stellaris you have different people managing and looking at different sectors but then still you don't have just one key sector that you're looking at you're still looking at multiple sectors so if you could talk about you know sectors that you're focusing on and i think a follow up would be how do you you know try to manage your mind share and balance your time between you know these sectors because there are some sectors that are hot at a point in time and then they become you know uh, lukewarm again something else is in and in hot at the time and your investment strategies for those sectors also changes according to market like you have to just to be competitive as an investor as well so yeah, yeah just walk, walk us through that the act of balancing your mind share as an investor i think it's a great question and i think it's i would say pretty much the most important question that i would ask myself as an investor right now so i'll probably try and break it down into three different parts one what do i focus on second how do you allocate mind share um, and i'll also talk a little bit more about you know how do you decide what to focus on uh, what not to focus on and which does start to get into you know thesis building uh, and investment styles because i think all of these are related uh, in some shape or form so i focus on predominantly the following sectors i look at software uh in a sense saas both on the application side as well as on the infrastructure side uh i look at climate tech and i also look at mobility travel oriented investments now how do you allocate mind share i think that's i would break that down um uh, into two sub questions which is how do you think about topics that you want to think about long term and then also there could be topics that you need to focus on in the short run right yeah i think the long term stuff ultimately ends up being an exercise in building a thesis you may articulate a thesis to different levels of sophistication in your own mind uh, you know to the external world within your team and so on but ultimately it does boil down to having a thesis on on particular spaces uh, this is where i would say i think it is most important to proactively spend time and i think the first filter i apply on which are these topics that i want to sort of focus on proactively with a long term lens in mind is do i anticipate 
let's say if I forecast 10 years out, do I think within that space, there will continue to be innovation that will happen? And therefore, will there continue to be high quality startups uh, that will be coming up in that space, right? And that's one. Second, you know, you also want to make it real because there is no point in building a point of view for something that will happen 10 years out, right? You do want to also have a point of view that is relevant, let us say, maybe for a year or two years uh, down the line. And I think the filter to apply is, are you seeing at least some activity happening in terms of startups that are emerging? So a little bit more bottoms up uh, in the sense that, look, do you think topic X is going to be extremely exciting eight years out? Are you seeing anything happening around topic X? Maybe companies coming up that you would have talked to, let's say in the past few months, maybe people talking about that topic, uh, that, hey, there's an important problem to solve, et cetera. I mean, if not, then you also need to question, is that the best use of your time at that point of time? But broadly speaking, if you think there are areas which are temporal in nature, you know, then proactively spending time on understanding those uh, may not be as useful. Now, so when I marry this long-term thinking with something which is around saying, you know, in the here and now, what is the kind of activity that you see? In the sense that, let's say there is an area that I have not really spent too much time thinking about, right? Because let's face it, there are only so many things I can think about top-down, right? Yeah. Uh, but if there are great teams that are building in that space, would you talk to them? Yes. I mean, our maximum learning happens when we talk to founders. Even the discovery of areas that you should focus on happens often when you talk to founders because they will give you a worldview that you have not yet thought about. Um, I know, as I said, I tried to cover too many things at one go, but I, to just synthesize all of that, I think I try to marry you know, what is going to be relevant let's say with a slightly longer term lens in mind, with also looking at what is happening on the ground. So it is important to not build points of view in a vacuum. It is important to not invest in a vacuum. And I think the most important part of the job, the one that you just cannot cut down on, is your interaction with founders. I think we are just in a profession where we are so lucky. I mean, we get to meet founders on a constant basis. They explain what they are doing. They patiently answer our questions. Because ultimately, all of that feeds back into our mental models and what's happening in the world. Uh, they are the ones who really teach us the most. So in doing all of this, you know, in where your mindshare goes and long term and short term, all of that is great. But the thing to keep in mind is you should not be losing track of the fact that if you're not talking to founders enough, then you are definitely not doing your job right. Yeah, I think that's that's an important crux that you mentioned, you know, and uh, to your earlier point, you can build your own thesis and have a long term view, but it's only by talking to founders is what you can see what's happening on ground and be able to, you know, connect those dots, draw a line connecting those dots, maybe, uh, you know, two years down the line. Exactly. Fantastic. And, you know, there are sectors that become hot at a point in time, for instance, right now, you know, generative AI. AI in general and its applications across all kinds of sectors. What's your approach as an investor, right? I mean, I'm sure there is some element of fear of missing out that comes in, you know, not natural human tendency. How do you, you know, try to keep a filter and, and keep that discipline, the same discipline that you have, you know, when the sector is not hot in evaluating teams and evaluating that opportunity? I think, I think it's a great question. Look, first and foremost, if say a sector is quote unquote hot and hot I would maybe first give some indicators of what could hot me in the sense there are some really high quality teams that are building something in that business. Maybe other investors are, you know, funding companies in that space and so on and so forth. I think one, whether we have 
a positive view or a negative view, or let's say we have no view on that space. I think it does merit at least an evaluation or an investigation at our end. Let's say what is happening there? What are people seeing? Now you need to combine that with your own independent evaluation. And that goes through across the board, whether a sector is hot, sector is not hot, company is hot, company is not hot. Ultimately, you cannot be borrowing conviction in this business. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what matters the most is irrespective of sector being hot or look, I'll give you the flip side. There could be a sector that nobody cares about, but you have a point of view there, which says, man, I think this is going to be an important problem to solve. This is the team. They have the right business model. Let's invest. Right. So that also happens. So where I was going was what is most important is both at an individual level and at a firm level, you need to ensure that you're not borrowing conviction. Yeah. I think now what we end up doing is as individuals, we'll all have our own mechanisms to ensure that are we borrowing conviction or not? Uh, and then over and above that, if you look at us as a firm, you know, when we evaluate a company, we at least get two people involved so that let's say Arpit and Digja are evaluating a company. I may have a blind spot. You could call it out. You may have a blind spot. I could call it out. Hopefully that one automatically leads to higher quality decision making. And then, you know, again, within the firm, as we make decisions, right, we look to balance backing conviction of the team, which is the one that's focusing on that space. And therefore we have a better understanding of the space, but not getting to a point where we are taking risks that in hindsight, we would not have wanted to take. So I think ensuring you have those guardrails from a decision-making perspective. Uh, I think that's what matters there. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely helpful, you know, and, and I understand it's, it's difficult to just articulate what you go through as an investor because every cycle and every market is different and hot at different levels, like you said. And I think the key takeaway here is, you know, asking that question, whether you're borrowing conviction or not. I think that's a very powerful, uh, you know, question that any investor should ask, irrespective of whether the sector is hot or not. Uh, Arpit, you know, one other topic I wanted to talk about when it comes to venture investing, the approach to investing as well, and, and how you manage your portfolio is uh, the philosophy on, you know, failed uh, startups or failed portfolio companies. And it's it's tough as an investor because you have to go through it. It's just the way venture works. You know, two out of 10 companies will you know, will make it to the end and, you know, there'll be probably eight failures. Absolutely. And how you manage those failures and having how you manage those conversations with founders, those tough conversations uh, when they're struggling and not able to scale up, you know, kind of defines uh, you as a venture fund as well. So, you know, if you could talk us through that philosophy at Stellaris, both at the firm level and individual level. Uh... It's a very important topic, but I'll tell you what, at least how I, I think about it. And some of this is common to Stellaris as well, but you know, different people in the team, I'm sure will have different styles. There's, I would say a fairly intense topic, uh, which is why I don't want to say there is just one way of, of sort of thinking about this. Absolutely. Well, I think first and foremost, you need to establish a relationship of trust with founders and you need to do, do it from day one. And I think one core aspect of how I want to have relationships with founders is my founders should never need to second guess me. Look, I may be right, I may be wrong, but I'll always tell you exactly where I stand. In a sense, we are not backseat drivers. We want founders to execute. We are sounding boards, but then as sounding boards, we will never hold back. Like what that means is, let's say you are going down a particular direction. I may disagree with that direction. I will tell you very transparently, hey, Vijay, look, I think this is maybe not the best choice to make as a company. But guess what? As I said, you are the one who's closest to the problem statement, to the market. 
so ultimately you need to do what you got to do and i am never going to go back and say you know what i told you so and now sort of we are in a bad shape right look what is done is done that's great because the second thing which is very important to realize i think for us as investors in this process is at the end of the day the founders are the ones who are most affected when companies don't work out as the reality of life for me it is one company in a portfolio so in that sense the risk is hedged right financially emotionally whichever way you look at it it is really 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 crappy when companies don't work out uh, because i think whether we like it or not we do also invest behind those companies but our crappiness is sort of nothing compared to the crappiness that founders go through is is the point that we need to keep in mind and that brings me to at least my third belief which is founders are usually best place to judge when companies are not working out uh we can often see those signs early on it is not that we can't and we can sensitize founders to those signs as well and we do as i said it is my job it is my responsibility uh because ultimately we are managing other people's money uh we do sensitize founders to those as well but at least i have realized that if you are able to invest in building a relationship of trust uh these are not they are still sad conversations but they are not necessarily very difficult conversations because these have not been immature conversations you know these have not been conversations which have left a sour taste in in people's uh, in people's minds so i think as i said provided you are able to invest upfront i think that's for me if suddenly after 2 years we are trying to have a very different dynamic to our relationship with founders then maybe the conversation may not work out as well right and rightly so by the way so yeah you know thanks for sharing that perspective you're right i mean that foundation definitely uh, goes a long way in how the relationship with your founders is going to shape out and how much they they are able to trust you you know with time uh you know arpit one last question before uh, we jump into you know rapid fire and i like to ask this question uh to all my guests you've been investing and of course you operated for a while uh, before that for almost a decade and then you've been an investor over the last 5 6 years how has you know being an investor influenced your personality uh, you know over the last 6 7 years how has that changed you as a person <laughs> over time you know i think it's look um so when it's been 5 years i would say i would like to believe it has a made me more objective because i think as a profession investing demands objectivity uh, far more perhaps than other professions and i would say it's seeped over into aspects of your personal life as well so that's one second is i think you see many different ways in which a problem could be solved you also see many different ways in which things may not work out and again that seeps over into aspects of your personal life um i think can make you more measured as a person so if you look at me as an example i think i have become less impulsive i would like to believe i have also become less hard charging as a person but you know you got to ask other people that question i can't be <laughs> yeah. commenting on that one um so yeah those are some of the things which which i think have changed and on balance i would say those are good changes fantastic thanks for sharing that you know harpit with that we'll uh... jump into another interesting segment which is the rapid fire i'll uh, shoot some questions and you know hope to get your honest immediate thoughts on the same go ahead okay one thing that you'd like to change uh, to improve the state of the indian startup ecosystem today that's pretty much a no brainer more women founders 
that get funded yeah and luckily we are seeing some positive change but agree with you there's a long way to go and i think we have a long way to go boss that's what i think 100% if you had to give a ted talk what topic would you choose and why hmm i'll give you two topics one which i think has perhaps been beaten to death in ted talks but i would still want to talk about education um and its fundamental role in shaping human potential or helping people realize their potential and the role of technology in different parts of education that would be the more serious topic that i would pick um the other topic which i would love to pick is something around football i can bore people to death talking about football i'm guessing that's not the best topic but i would i mean if i could i would pick that one too i think i think what matters is what's closest to your heart and i think those, both these topics you know i'm sure are very close to your heart and very close to heart the reason yes. why you you want to talk more about it awesome we look forward to those you know ted talks sometime in the future the, the next one um, the most unusual or a memorable pitch meeting that you had with the founder oh yeah i'm blanking out on this one um, <laughs> i think look in the sense that there have been several memorable pitch meetings where founders have just as i said we learned the most when we talked to founders and i have come out of several conversations where i've been like man whether we invest or not because there could be n number of reasons why we are not able to invest but look either you learn something about a market that you did not understand earlier or you learn something about founders themselves uh, i would say stories of determination of persistence uh, which i mean they just blow you away but it's as i said i'm blanking out on sort of one specific instance over there okay uh final question uh, vcs and founders uh, that you admire and look up to uh so founders i think mean, i'll probably give you like public names i mean they are founders who i know as a person but other people will not i mean you know uh, bill gates uh, is probably the one i'd pick you know one partially for what he built at microsoft uh, and then to basically pretty much you know very suddenly say hey look this part of life is done i now want to move on to more philanthropic endeavors uh, so that's one on vcs potentially union square and benchmark very consistent very disciplined and the ability to i would say consistently pick winners across market cycles uh, so yeah so those two and i think both those investors you know have done like you said again consistently well especially by being one of the first institutional investors uh, for those companies which is tough like to take those bets uh, before those companies have actually tasted success or seen that level of growth uh, having that yeah. conviction before then consistently over decades i think that clearly stands out for me as well A- any last thoughts for you know uh, both vcs and founders that are listening to you through the podcast i think i would say for vcs the importance of independent conviction and an empathy when we deal with founders just how just sticking to that one and for founders honestly i think just uh, keep doing what you guys are doing because i feel that's how society changes for the better so yeah amazing alpit this has been you know a great conversation enjoyed the chat and i'm sure you know we could have kept going uh, but in the interest of time we can pause here for now pick it up again uh, in the next version absolutely uh, but i look forward to continuing to speak with you and i think this was like i think a really really nice conversation uh, very thought provoking for me as well so thank you for doing that i'm glad you enjoyed it and you know i've equally enjoyed it and taking away a lot from this conversation cheers
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the VC Pune podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let our guest know about it and share your thoughts on social media. We would truly appreciate if you could subscribe to our podcast on the podcast platform of your choice and leave us a review on Spotify or Apple iTunes. This will help others discover the podcast. To get more insights and learn about startups and venture capital, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We would love to hear from you there. You can find all our episodes together on our website thevcpreneur.com. We will be back again next time with another VCpreneur that is making a dent in the venture universe. Until then, take care and keep shining.